We've been studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he tells us the reality of being a Christ follower in the presence and in the power of his kingdom while still living our everyday lives here on earth. It's this idea that the world is attacking our hearts and that they're coming at us with things like anger, lust, greed, lies, judgment, and that God wants to repair and protect our broken and damaged hearts and restore us back to the way and the life that he originally intended for us all along. Uh, So if you want to, you can go ahead. uh, Feel free to bust out your Bible this morning. We're going to open it up to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, If you have the free North Point app, either from the Google Play or uh, the Apple Store, you can get that today. Follow along with us. Open that up. Uh, Give it a second to refresh from last week's message. Um, And you can follow along on the outline provided there under this week's Message, But we're going to start here in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. All right, so last week we talked a little bit about verse 6 coming before this passage, and this whole idea of pearls before swine or a spiritual truth given to somebody who's not yet ready to accept it because they don't have a real relationship with God. And it's kind of with keeping this idea in mind that we gain a better understanding of what Jesus means with this ask, seek, and knock passage. See, Jesus is urging those that are listening to him to not give up praying about their desires or to continue praying for truth in their life, to keep on asking to keep on seeking, and to keep on knocking. Why? Because God gives good gifts to his kids. It's kind of a tongue twister. Say it like 10 times fast. God gives good gifts to his kids. See, it's easy to get discouraged when you've been praying about the same thing time and time and time again. Has anybody ever felt like you could just record your prayers and play them back every night because you've been praying about the same stuff for weeks or months or even years at a time. Now, see, my wife Ashley and I have been praying about some of the same things for over three years at this point in time. We've been asking, we've been seeking, and we've been knocking because the reality, guys, we really, really want a 70-foot yacht on Lake Michigan that would just be go up on weekends. It would be great. No, I'm just kidding. We have things about our family, things about our future that are near and dear to our heart that we have continually been praying about. But it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get upset. God, where are you? Why haven't you answered me yet? Do you even care? Is it something I did? God, what's going on? Well, since I married a very thoughtful and very smart woman. She's here today, so I can say that. Very thoughtful and very smart woman. Uh, She came up with a really cool Christmas gift for me this past year. She redid our home office. This is a big deal because beforehand, our home office was kind of that catch-all room. Like, we all have that catch-all room in our house. Like, hey, what are we going to do with this waffle iron? I don't know. Throw it in the catch-all room. It needs to go in the office, right? No idea why, but it's full of boxes and all sorts of junk that we can't throw away, but we keep in a room that we never go in kind of thing. That was our office for the longest time. And she decided she was going to make a home office for me. And she did an awesome, 
awesome job. She had a nice little TV stand that she bought with a TV on top of it, a cool chair made out of like bungee cords I can bounce in. And uh, she even redid my grandfather's desk, which is real sentimental and cool to me. But my favorite thing that she did in this room, she put together prayer boards. She put together two prayer boards hung right underneath our window. And on the first board is some barbed wire-like thing uh, that's got little pieces of paper clipped on it. And on these pieces of paper, uh, we've got prayer requests, things that are near and dear to our heart. We have things that uh, we pray for jobs. We pray for our church. We've got people that are on there, desires of our heart that we've put on this prayer board. And then right next to it, she's got an answer board. And it's framed with these pieces of paper of prior prayer requests that we've had. There's things on there. There's names of people that God has healed on this board. There's times where we wanted to, needed to sell a house and buy a new home in Michigan and that God provided and it was $10,000 under another offer that they had. And all these cool stories that are on this prayer board. Times that God has provided for us with things that we needed or jobs or money and the way that he's shown up on these prayer boards. And it's the coolest thing to me because when I'm discouraged, and I'm wondering, God, I've been praying about this for so long. I'm going through a hard time. Why aren't you answering me? It reminds me to keep seeking, to keep asking, to keep knocking. When I walk in this room and I'm reminded of all the good gifts that my Father has already given to me. Look at what Jesus says here next about the way that God answers prayers in verse 9. 9 and 10, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. See, Jesus is talking about a parent that would trick his or her child. See, bread and fish were staples in the diet of these fishing communities. And Jesus is asking, what father would trick his son by giving him a stone that looks like bread or by giving him a snake instead of an actual fish? Uh, Tim, who's played drums today and helps out with uh, students a lot, uh, has a funny sense of humor. He knows I am deathly afraid of snakes. Like, I don't do snakes. Genesis tells me that snakes are the only animal that God cursed. If he don't like snakes, Jake don't like snakes. It's as simple as that, okay? I don't do snakes. So he came up, and he's got a nice little wrist gift that looks like a snake that he gave me this morning because every time he sees something snake, I get a picture or a gift. So he's a nice guy, Tim. Thank you for that very much. But we know from Leviticus chapter 11 tells us that Jews were actually prohibited from eating fish that didn't have scales, or have fins like eels and catfish, probably because they bore some sort of resemblance to snakes. See, when I was in junior high, my parents took my sister and I on a trip to Bermuda. I love Bermuda. It's this beautiful island in the middle of the ocean. It's got pink sand. It's warm, constant sunshine. It's just like Lansing in January, okay? It's beautiful. No, not at all, right? It is beautiful. I love going and being in Bermuda. It was great. And uh, while we were down there, my parents, my sister, myself, a couple of my parents' friends named Ed and Pat, we all decided we would go deep sea fishing. I love to fish. I think fishing is so much fun, catching and uh, just being able to relax on a boat. I love fishing. And we had a great captain. He took us right to where all the fish were biting. It was an awesome day. Well, my parents' friend, Pat, she hadn't done a lot of fishing in her life, but she lucked out on this day. Pat caught a beautiful rainbow parrot fish. And we got a picture on the board. This picture doesn't quite do it justice. When she pulled this fish up out of the water, 
It was beautiful. Fish aren't beautiful, right? Nobody thinks, looks at a fish and goes, wow, that's pretty. No, fish are pretty much ugly all the time. This was a beautiful fish. It looked like somebody had just painted all the colors on this and just glistened in the sunlight. It was amazing. It was so cool that the captain came down and wanted to get a picture with it. And he said, hey, we actually can't even keep that fish. It's so rare. We have to throw it back because we are legally not allowed to keep these fish. But he had never seen one in his 20 years of being a captain on all of these charter trips. He had never seen a fish like this before. It was awesome. So Pat then tosses this fish back in the water and just a few seconds go by and my sister gets a bite and she's excited. She's ready to go. But we can tell from the very beginning, this is going to be a massive fish. She's super competitive, so she's got to do the whole thing by herself. And so they brought out uh, this fishing belt. I don't know if you've ever seen these things. They're really big, and they have a huge clasp in the back and a place to set your pole in the front to kind of give you leverage. So she's into it, man. She is just biting her teeth, reeling this thing in. We're excited. We've just seen this super rare, super beautiful fish, and now we can see hanging over the side of the boat the silhouette of this massive fish that my sister is about to catch. It's going to be awesome. And as she gets closer and she pulls it up out of the water, my sister screams. She didn't catch a nice fish. It wasn't a beautiful fish. It wasn't a big fish. It was a huge, nasty eel. It was disgusting. The captain didn't come out going, oh, that's so rare and pretty. Let me get your picture. No, he came out and said, yeah, we're not putting that in the boat. Cut the line immediately and was done, right? My sister, I think she went and sat in the cabin. She wanted nothing to do with fishing the rest of the time. She was done with that trip. We all kind of felt disappointed. We expected a beautiful fish or this giant fish, and instead we got a nasty eel. See, that's what Jesus is portraying here. He's saying that no good father would give his son an eel or a snake, but rather he's going to give them a fish, something that is good for them, something that will provide for them, something that will care for them. Look at verses 11 through 12. Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, I love how he just throws that in there, just calling it like he sees it. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. See, Jesus is telling us here that we can trust our heavenly Father. We can trust our Heavenly Father. We call this series Heart Attack because when Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he's pointing out all the ways that our heart is being attacked, ways that it's been damaged, ways that we've been hurt. And in order to have God come in and be able to fix our heart, to, to protect our heart, to make us better, our broken hearts, we have to have heart surgery. We have to have heart surgery. And you see, when it comes to having heart surgery, trust, trust is a big, big deal. When the surgeon comes in and he introduces himself to you, you want to know that you can trust this guy. You want to know that he graduated with high honors from Johns Hopkins University and he's done this thousands and thousands of times. You don't want the intern that just binge-watched Grey's Anatomy on Netflix to do on your heart surgery, right? You want the guy that you can trust to take care of you. See, that's why some of us struggle allowing God to fix our hearts. We don't trust the surgeon. We don't trust that God really knows 
how to give good gifts. We're scared that we're going to get a stone instead of a snake. Or we're going to get a stone or a snake instead of getting a new heart and getting a new life like God promised. See, what if God doesn't show up? What if God's wrong? And see, the reality is God is patiently, patiently waiting on us, saying, look, you don't understand. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My gifts are better than anything that you can understand. Your mind, your heart, your understanding is evil. You've been so polluted and messed up and skewed by this sin-sick world that you don't understand. I'm not just some guy who watched a how-to video on YouTube. I'm your creator. I know you. I know your heart. And I can fix you and take better care of you than you can even begin to imagine. You see, the truth is, we can't fix ourselves. You can't operate on yourself. You have to have the surgeon. You have to trust that God isn't trying to trick you, but he's trying to make you better than you have ever been. You have to have the surgery. But another thing we know is that surgery can also be painful. Surgery can hurt. Look at verses 13 and 14. They say, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. When I was about seven or eight years old, I went with my cousins and my aunt and uncle to Mammoth Cave National Park down in Kentucky. And I could see from Facebook that actually a few of you guys uh, took that trip over spring break, and so you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but Mammoth Cave is a massive massive cave, just like its name sounds. There's over 365 miles of this cave that have been surveyed. It was the first time I had ever been inside of a cave, and I was blown away by how huge this thing was and how dark it would get when they turned off the lights. And I remember just looking at this cave from the outside and seeing how big this entrance was, and that it just seemed to look like it went on for days at a time. And I've always remembered that when we took uh, the tour into Mammoth Cave, that there was this one area that you could walk through that was called Fat Man's Misery. Fat Man's Misery. You can see a picture of it up on the screen. See, Fat Man's Misery is not comfortable. The path is narrow. The ceiling is really low. It's not a comfortable walk. It was easy for me as like a seven or eight-year-old little boy just kind of bouncing around everywhere, but the grown men that were there, the big guys were making big guy noises, okay? They're coming through fat man's misery, a lot of Ooh! noises as they're coming through, right? You knew this was a narrow path. You knew it was shallow. It wasn't easy to get through. But the hardest part about fat man's misery was the fact that it was located in the middle of the tour. In other words, if you wanted to make it through the cave to the other end, you had to go through this short, narrow path. You couldn't turn around because if you turned around, you were just wandering in a dark cave without a guide. You had to make it through fat man's misery. And see, that's what I picture when I hear Jesus say here in verses 13 and 14, it was easy, easy to enter into Mammoth Cave. It's just this massive hole in the side of a hill. In fact, they'd even put concrete and a guardrail for you to get into here to this cave without even slipping. They made it easy to get into this path. 
And that's what I see when I hear broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But fat man's misery was tough. It was narrow and it was short. And when I hear that small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. See, fat man's misery was painful, but you had to go through it if you wanted to reach the end. Heart surgery can be painful, but you have to go through it if you want to make it through to life. See, when you give God control, when you choose to get the surgery done, there will be pain. It's the reason that most people choose not to have the surgery in the first place. It's never easy to have your heart worked on. It's painful to have things removed from your heart that shouldn't be there. It can be painful to have a stent or a patch put on your heart, but those things are necessary for life. If you want to get rid of the sickness, if you want to fix what's broken in your heart, you have to be ready for the pain that comes with it. You have to choose the narrow path. You have to have the surgery. See, then the question is, how do we know if somebody's had the surgery? How do we know if somebody's actually had their heart fixed? Check out verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus is warning us about true and false prophets, or as he calls them, sheeps and wolves clothing. How do we know if somebody's had heart surgery? Jesus tells us that it's by their fruit. Now let's take a second. I want to go over... Uh, uh, arboriculture here, okay? This is the study, I think that's the name, I'm not, I googled it, so we're going to go with what that's what it is, okay? Uh, this is the study of trees and vines and shrubs and all these other woody plants. So what I'm going to need is I'm going to ask you guys a question, I need you to shout the answer back out to me. So take a sip of your coffee, get ready, get engaged, because I'm going to need you to shout back to me, otherwise I'll get lonely up here, okay? I'm going to ask some questions, just shout the answer. All right, here we go. What fruit grows on apple trees? Apples, all right, good. We got that one, we got that one. Okay, uh, the next one on here. What fruit grows on cherry trees? Oh, yeah, you guys have been studying this stuff before. All right, here we go, last one. What fruit grows on orange trees? Oranges, right? We know this stuff. This stuff is easy. You, we know these things because of their fruits. We can identify these trees because of their fruits. In fact, you're never going to get an orange off of an apple tree or a pear off of an avocado tree. That's never going to happen. Each fruit is determined by the tree that it is connected to. And when we, when we are connected to God, when we've chosen to have the surgery, then the Holy Spirit is living moving and growing inside of us. People will know us. They will know that we are Christ followers because we will show that fruit of the Spirit, that fruit that's talked about in Galatians chapter 5. 
See, this fruit is not something, it's not something that we do in order to be better connected to God. Now, that's backwards. That's backwards. This fruit is something that happens because we are already connected to the Father. It's something that happens because we already have the surgery. We've already had that relationship. And everybody around us can see the fruit growing off of us because of it. Now, what if I told you there was something called a tree surgeon? A tree surgeon. See, there's other names for these guys too, but one of the names they have is a tree surgeon. This is a specialist in treating damaged trees. These are guys who remove branches and stumps and do tree felling and hedge trimming. Basically, these are the guys that remove dead trees or parts of the trees that have already died so that they can produce better fruit. They remove what's already gone, what's already dead, so that the tree, the land, can produce better fruit. Fruit. See, we all need to have heart surgery so that we can produce better fruit. So that the rest of the world will see us and they'll say, hey, our love, our joy, our patience, our self-control. And that means that we're connected to something or someone bigger than we are. They'll see that we're connected to God. Have the surgery. What happens then if we don't have the surgery? Check out verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, it can be easy to ignore the signs of a bad heart. Having high cholesterol or plaque in your arteries, dizziness, indigestion, discomfort, it's easy to just chalk all of those things up as a bad lunch or a stressful work week that you had there. It's easy to just push those things aside. In fact, you can go on living your life doing the same stuff that you've always done and even have a fairly active lifestyle all while ignoring the fact that you have a heart problem. People walk out of their doctor's office every day after hearing the warning that if they don't make a change, if they don't have the heart surgery, that they could have a heart attack or that their heart could damage them. And yet they continue on with the same routine never making a change, and never having the surgery. And that's what Jesus says in these verses, that people are going to come to him and say, Lord, everything seemed good. Everything seemed all right. My life was fine. I even did some cool stuff like miracles or some missions trips or I was at church most of the time. Everything was good, but they never had the surgery. Life looked good, but their heart was still damaged. Things seemed fine, but they never allowed God to repair their heart. If we never have the heart surgery, then we miss out on that relationship with God, on that new life and on that eternity with him. It's always easier to ignore the symptoms. It's always easier to ignore the problems, to admit to admit that there is a heart problem means that we actually have to do something about it. We've already talked about the fact that surgery can be painful. 
and that it requires a lot of trust. But as we said before, we can't operate on ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. The question is, do you care enough about your bad heart to allow God to fix it? Yeah, it requires a lot of trust. And yeah, it may be painful, but if you don't fix your heart, if you don't have the surgery, then our bad heart is going to be the very thing that kills us. Verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, we've spent this entire series on heart attack. We are in week 11 talking about heart attack, and we've covered things like anger, lust, lying, judging, vengefulness, materialism, and all these other ways that Satan has tried to attack us and damage our hearts. And what Jesus said to protect us from those things and to repair our bad and broken heart. And the question now as we wrap all this up is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with all the things that you've heard? Verse 24 it says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. See, during the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee would be really hard on the surface. It would feel sturdy. It would feel solid. But any wise builder knew that he would have to dig down sometimes as far as 10 feet through that sand in order to reach the bedrock below in order to reach a place that he could put down a proper foundation. Otherwise, in the winter months, when the, rain, when the heavy rains would come, it would bring flooding, capable of destroying anything without a firm foundation on bedrock beneath that sand. And Jesus is telling all of these people listening, just like he's telling us, that we've heard We've heard what he said about lying and lust and anger and all these other things that have damaged our hearts. Jesus says that they know the truth and that they know what needs to be done. That if you don't listen when the storm comes, it's going to wipe away your like wipe you away like a house on the sand. But if you make that change, if you have the surgery, then you can stand up against whatever storm life may throw at you because you fixed your heart. You have to fix your heart. You have to have the surgery. Look at verse 28. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When this verse says the teachers of the law, it's talking about the scribes, the religious leaders of the time that would often quote other people to establish authority with their teaching. But Jesus is his own authority. In other words, when it comes to your heart, the teachers of the law would say things like, uh, four out of five experts would recommend such and such, or uh, the common procedure with cardiovascular surgeons would be da-da-da. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Look, I know you. I know your heart. I created your heart, and I can fix 
your heart. Have the surgery. This passage also points out that the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teachings. I have a buddy of mine named Matt who goes to all of the Michigan State men's basketball games. Just like a lot of you guys in here, he is a die-hard Spartan fan, goes to all of them, loves it, has a great time. He came back to me one time after a game and goes, Jake, I have just seen the most amazing halftime show. And I said, oh, how was the game? He goes, the halftime show was amazing, man. I got to tell you about it. I said, all right, man, what happened? He said, there was this woman who got up on an eight-foot unicycle and was riding it around the arena. I said, oh, that's really cool. And he goes, no, 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 man. She then stuck out her foot and balanced end to end eight bowls on her toes. And I said, wow, dude, that is really impressive. He goes, no, 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 man. As she's riding around the arena with eight bowls balanced on her toe, she decides to kick them in the air and then proceeds to catch all eight bowls on her head. I said, dude, that is amazing. So he, he took out his phone and he showed me a video of this woman and it was so cool. It was so amazing. And when I got done watching this video, I looked at Matt and I said, dude, that is awesome. Are you going to try it? He said, that eh, no. There's no way I'm trying that. Eight foot tall, dude, I would fall and break my leg or my neck. There is no way that I'm doing it. That is crazy. And he's right. It probably would take a lot of practice and a lot of training. But what I noticed about Matt was even though this was one of the most amazing things he had ever seen, he still had no desire to get on an eight foot unicycle and catch bowls on his head. <laughs> Why? Because amazement doesn't mean change. Amazement doesn't mean change. See, this crowd of people heard Jesus teach all of these things. And they were amazed. They were amazed at what he said. And how he said it with authority. But that doesn't mean that they walked away with a changed heart. It doesn't mean that they had the surgery. See, it's easy to hear all the things that we've been talking about for over two months now and to agree with it, to like it, to understand it, to even be amazed by it. But if you don't do anything with it, then it's pointless. Don't just listen to everything that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount and be amazed by the fact that we have a heart issue, that we need heart surgery. Have the surgery. See, once again, it requires trust, but God gives good gifts. And it may be painful, but it's the path that leads to life. Don't let the storm knock you away, but build on the right foundation. Allow God to fix your broken and bad heart. Have the surgery. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Father, that you are a good Father, that you give good gifts beyond our imagination, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that we would have that surgery, that we would allow you to fix whatever anger, whatever lust, whatever greed, whatever issue is damaging our hearts, God. God, we pray that today we wouldn't just be amazed at your teachings, amazed at the things that you do, Father, but rather today, Father, we would decide to have the surgery, Lord. 
God, that you would come in and change our hearts to change our lives so that we can bear fruit that the rest of the world will see and go, that person has something different. That person's connected to God. Lord, we ask, Father, as we worship you as we move today, that your spirit would weigh heavy on our hearts, Father, until we decide to make the change. We love you and we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.